May be seated. Morning. How are y'all? Doing all right? Amen. Good to see you. Just for the record, if you're visiting, I am not Pastor Chris. He is uh, much taller and much better looking than I am, and a lot more hair. Just kidding. I shouldn't be lying from the pulpit, huh? Sorry. <laughs> Glad that you are with us this morning. Um, like Miss Jen said, we are excited that you chose to worship at Second. And uh, as we get into the Word, we're excited about what God's going to do this morning. Before we uh, get into the message, let's let's pray together, please. Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your love and for your grace. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in your house to worship you. And Father, as we open your word, Lord, I pray that you would just help me get, get out of the way, that the folks here, God, would they would see you, uh, Father, that they would hear your word, and, and Father, they'd be challenged. And Father, help us to uh, leave this place closer to you, help us to leave this place, God, with, with an idea of what it means to really seek after you, the way, the truth, and the life, God. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. We're, looking, we're going to be looking at John 14, 6, a very familiar passage. Uh, Chris asked me about a month ago if I would consider preaching on one of the I Am's. The past month, we've been going through um, several of the I Am's, and that the, 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 the proclamation that God has made, that Jesus has made, that He is the I Am. We're going to be looking at the book of John this morning, specifically at these three truths that He's, that Jesus, the claims that He makes, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Several other proclamations have been made in the book of John where, where Jesus makes these statements, these emphatic statements, that He is the I Am. We see also that, that he makes the claim that he is the light of the world. We see that he makes the claim that he is the good shepherd, that he is the gate. Over in John chapter 15, we see that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And so he makes these statements that are emphatic. He makes these statements that are crystal clear. They're black and white. In an area, in a world that we live in that has lots of gray and lots of fuzz, Jesus makes these statements that we can hang our hat on and say, this is truth, that this is a statement that he's making and that we can take that to the bank. And so with those black and white statements, with those things that can be not so warm and fuzzy, a lot of times we have a hard time accepting those things because we want to be accepting of others. We want to make sure that people feel comfortable and people feel welcome. And the gospel in and of itself is exclusionary. The gospel in and of itself is separating from all the other statements and claims that different religions make, where they say that you can't, if you're just good enough, or if, you're, if you do this, then you can, you can have eternal life. And Scripture is very, very opposite of what those claims make. Jesus says that there's only one way in this particular passage, there's only one way to God, and that's having a relationship with Him. And so, 
what that means for us today, hopefully after we get through this passage, is that there are some truths that we can hold on to. There are some statements that we can stand on, a hill that we can die on, uh, making sure that, that we believe, that we embrace, that we run to these statements when it comes to the struggles that we go through in life, to those statements that people make that are contrary to what God's Word says. And so we're going to be looking at those three statements in John chapter 14, verse 6, um, the way, the truth, and the life this morning, and then look at what that really means, some, some practical application for our lives and how we can take those things and go through the, the stuff that we go through each and every day. I know that none of you people ever have struggles, you ever have difficulties, you ever have dilemmas or any of those kind of things. It just happens in the Cooper house, okay? And so, so I'll just share some illustrations that happened in my house and maybe you can relate to them, all right? Let's read chapter 14. We're starting in verse 1 and we're going to be um, bouncing around a little bit in a couple of different chapters, John chapter 8, John chapter 10. And so be patient with me, but I want you to, to kind of see the the context in which uh, these statements are made. Before we get into John chapter 14, I want to kind of set the stage. Jesus is there in the, the, the last upper, up, uh, upper room. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and has told them over and over and over again that he's about to die, that he's about to go to the cross, that they're about to, to lose him. And he makes some statements here in the first part of John chapter 14 that are a little bit confusing to the disciples apparently they're crystal clear to us and what we can see but apparently to the disciples it's a little bit confusing so let's pick up there in verse one after jesus has told them these things about him dying about him leaving them he says there in verse one says do not let your hearts be troubled trust in god trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me. You also may be where I am. And then he makes a statement in verse 4 that I want you to, to hang out on and, and chew on just for a little bit. He says, you, talking to, to his disciples, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Jesus has spent the last three years hanging out with the disciples. He's They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him feed the 5,000. They've seen him heal um, the leper. They've seen him raise people from the dead. And then Jesus makes this statement. You, Mike Cooper paraphrase, you know where I'm going. And you know how to get there. And in verse 5, we quickly see that the disciples, specifically John here, or Thomas, speaks up and says, hang, hang on a minute, Jesus. And he says there in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And in Hebrew thought, they were waiting for the Messiah. The people of Israel were waiting on this earthly kind of kingdom, this earthly reign. And Jesus was the answer. Jesus had told the disciples and told multitudes that he was the Messiah, that he was the answer. And so their concept of this Messiah was this earthly kingdom, this earthly reign that Jesus would come over, take, take over Rome, or take over the, the, the things that Rome had taken over from them and, and basically allow them to, to establish their own authority, their own leadership. And Jesus is not this guy. He is telling them that it's something completely different. And he tells them here, he says, you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, hang on, and Jesus, we don't, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? They hadn't. The Israelite people had no concept of an afterlife. They thought that it was just kind of a, they, they, they believed in God, but they didn't understand what heaven 
They didn't understand what the afterlife was. And so Jesus makes this emphatic statement in John chapter 14, verse 6, when Thomas says, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus makes this statement. He says, look, he says, I am the way. I'm the way that you get to the Father. And so what does that mean for us today? What does that mean that Jesus makes this statement to the disciples? If he were sitting in this room right now, and he says, I am the way, what does that mean for you today? What does that mean for me and I want to, I want to, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to um, propose two different things here. If you have your program, there's a little, some fill-in-the-blank things. I, I'm a fill-in-the-blank kind of guy. Um, you may not be, it may, may drive you bananas. And, and I promise, if, if, if you are a fill-in-the-blank person, I promise I try to give you all the blanks so that you don't leave this room going crazy because there's one blank that's uh, not been mentioned. I'm that guy as well. And so, the, obviously, the first blank there is that, that I, am, I am the way. But this, these sub-points that I want, I want us to kind of try to wrap our minds around a little bit, that this first statement is that when he says that I am the way, that he is saying that I am the direction, that I am the direction that, that you need to head in. And what that means, what, had, what, had, what it has meant for the disciples is they were to follow him. Everywhere that Jesus went, the disciples would follow whatever it was to, to go and heal a little girl, whether it was to go to raise Lazarus, whether it was to go and, and teach by the, the seashore and feed the multitudes. The disciples, the direction that they were following, the directions they went is they were following Jesus. And Jesus is now telling them, look, the direction that you're heading in now, I won't be there to walk. I won't be there for you to follow my, my back to show you the direction. The direction is to follow after your heavenly father. And so, again, for, for the disciples, that was a little bit confusing. And for us today, it can be a little bit confusing, because what does it really mean to follow Jesus? We, we just saw some words on a screen where it talks about, ruin my plans, ruin my, my agenda. I want there to be nothing left but you. And we, it's easy for us to sit in here on a Sunday morning and sing those words, but the moment that we drive out of the parking lot, do we really mean what we've just read and sang in service this morning? And, and, and folks, I'm not saying this about you. I'm saying this to you along with myself because I'm selfish. I have my own desires. I have my own plans. I have my own agenda. But Jesus is telling his disciples, he goes, look, it's not your way anymore. It's not you following my footsteps. It's about you following in the direction of God. And we're going to see in just a second, conversely, that when you're following in the direction towards God, that's the goal. That's where he wants you to end up. Let me give you a little perspective. Um, if you are like me, when you travel, and I'm speaking primarily to the guys here just for a second, when you travel, typically you have a goal in mind. Okay, if it's to the grocery store, guys, where are you headed? Grocery store, thank you. Head to the grocery store, okay? When you're on vacation, we go to Florida. On vacation a lot. And so when I'm driving, sorry, I want to get there. How, how quick? 
as soon as possible. That means minimal potty breaks. That means minimal fill-ups. I'm looking at my watch. I'm looking at the mileage on the car. I'm looking at the road signs to see how many miles it is. I have an agenda. I have a destination. I have a place that I'm trying to get to. Okay? All right, now I'm going to talk to the ladies just for a second. When you go to the grocery store, what is the potential of that you might stop someplace else other than the grocery store before you get to the grocery store? All right, four people have already said something. Coffee shop, there might be a garage sale. There, I mean, who knows? I mean, there, I get to enjoy the way. I mean, from our house, HEB is four blocks, okay? And it's possible that we may not make it to HEB in four blocks. Just, it, it happens, okay? And so directions and destinations are, are can be tricky at times. Let me... Let me give you a little perspective. Directions that a father and a mother gave their daughter to get someplace. Okay, listen. Listen to the difference. The first one, I'll let you. I'll let you decide who wrote this one: the mom or the husband, or the dad, or the mom or the dad. Highway 80, just after the way station near Cordelia, I think there will be an exit. Exit 14. Sonoma and Napa. Take it. Follow it all the way through till you end up in Fairfield. There's a signal light there next to a beer joint, I think. I don't know. These are directions. Telling their daughter how to get someplace. Once you get there, you merge to the right, which turns into a two-lane freeway near Dealey. Go through the signal, go over the bridge thing, and when you get to the next signal, take a left towards Death Valley. It gets better. You'll be on Canaris Highway. Then you will come to a short, sort of a dead end with a blinking light, turn right. The road will give you a choice to either go straight or veer right. You veer right. Stay on the road until you see a bunch of power stuff. You know, those big metal thingamajigs. Who do you think wrote that? Mom wrote that, okay? Here's Dad's directions. Highway 80, go west. Exit 14. Exit 121. Take a left. Exit 116. Veer right. Right turn on Lincoln Road. I mean, the difference between guys and girls. The difference between men and women in directions. Jesus is giving the disciples some direction here. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the way. All the things that you have seen me do over the past three years, those are things that you need to do. And he, and he goes on, we'll, you see in Scripture a little bit later, they said when he leaves, he goes, I'm leaving somebody behind that's going to help you. I'm leaving somebody behind that will be a guide for you. There are a bunch of folks in LaGrange, both, a bunch of folks in Fayette County, in this state and around this world that are heading all kinds of places without direction. They don't know where they're headed. They're, they're, they're doing life, but there's no direction in their life. They have no plan. They have no written out way to reach their destination. And as believers, as children of God, we have the roadmap. 
We have the specific directions to tell them how to get through life. It's our responsibility to write those things down, to speak those truths into their lives, to be able to tell them, to share with them, to love them through the struggles to make sure they get to the right destination. You hear what I'm saying? And so you have people in your life that you care about. You have people that you work with each and every day. People that you live next door to you that need to hear those directions. And so you need to make sure that you're vocal enough to share that with them. We were at a baseball game the other night. And there's a little bitty boy, there's a little boy probably uh, two years old, maybe three at, at tops. He's batting left-handed. He's, on, he's kind of behind the bleachers. I can kind of see him from the stands. He's batting left-handed, and the dad is throwing a tennis ball. And this little kid is crushing the ball. I mean, he's just, it's, it's taken off. But what is so cute about this little boy is he's left-handed. He hits the ball. You know what he does? Third base. Then second, then first, and comes on home. Okay? Every single time. Dad doesn't correct it. I don't know what it I don't know what it is. He's just he's hitting the ball and he's taking it off towards third base. Imaginary third base, second base, first base, all the way back home. You know, it's cute for a little boy to head the wrong direction when he's playing baseball and playing T ball and that kind of stuff. You've probably all seen videos on YouTube where a little boy hits the ball and, and really in the game takes off towards third base and comes all hits a home run but he went the wrong direction. Listen, we have a lot of friends that are going through life in the wrong direction, and it's not cute. And we have the truth to be able to share with them to make sure they head in the right direction. Sometimes they need us to grab a hold of their hand and say, hey, you head the wrong way, man. Let me, let me help you. Let me show you the direction that you need to head. But it takes some courage. It takes some effort on our part to make sure that we tell the people that we care about the right direction. Okay. All right. So we see that, that Jesus says, "I'm I'm the way," and that way, what that means is it's the direction, but it's also a destination. And when I said a few moments ago, this idea that that Jesus wants the disciples to head in a direction, it's the direction to follow after Him to reach the destination. And what is beautiful about what Jesus tells them when He says, "I am the way," it's more it's more than just a direction and the destination. It is, to me, that those two things are so intertwined and so interconnected that they are one and the same. When Jesus says that I am the way, he's saying a whole lot more than, hey, you need to go this direction. He says, not only do you need to go this direction, but everything that you are in the, in the, in the midst of heading that direction is so encapsulated in who God wants you to be, what God wants you to do, that they're one and the same. Does that, does that make sense? Is that... That everything about who we are, everything about where we go, everything about what we do is so revolving around who God is in us that the direction and the destination are the same thing. And so when we get past ourselves, when we ruin our idols, when we ruin our selfishness, when we ruin those things, our our selfishness, those things that become most important to us, when we get rid of those things, and our focus is right where it needs to be, God can do something magical in your life. God can do something absolutely amazing. And the people that you come in contact with, the people that you work with, they see something different in your life. I know that probably everybody in this room could stand up and say, hey, you know what? Uh, Me and and Jesus were like this at, at one time. Maybe, hopefully that's where we're at right now, but at one time we were like this, 
And there were some people that their lives were changed because of my faithfulness to the Lord, because they saw something different. I was able to speak truth in their life. I was able to speak hope and courage and, and love into their lives. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to do in this direction, headed towards this destination. Jesus explains that this journey and destination is to be with who? In John, in, in John 14, 6. He says, it's to be with the Father. That's where Jesus desires to be. He says, look, so I'm, I'm, headed, I'm headed back someplace. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you because I want you to be there with me, with who? With the Heavenly Father. You ever dreamed about heaven? Oh, my word. I think about heaven all the time. I don't want to go like tomorrow or today. I, mean, I'm wanna, I want to hang out here for a while. But I think about heaven. I think about is there, is there fishing in, in heaven? Is there, because I love to fish and I never get to fish. I'm always, I'm always doing something. Okay? Is there basketball? Will I be able just to like jump from half court and, and dunk? I, I don't know. I, but I, I dream about heaven and what it's going to be like other than just the streets of gold and, and angels singing and, and a bright light and, and Jesus, Jesus and I getting to, to walk down the streets and, and put my arm around him and him put his arm around me and we just talk about the, the things in Scripture that I don't understand or how much He loves me. When, when God becomes so part of who you are that you wake up thinking about and dreaming about the things of God, then you know that you're, you're headed in the right direction. You're headed in the place where God wants you to be. It's like, um, I know that, that we all have jo- jobs and, and hobbies and those kind of things, and sometimes, probably, that you've been so involved in something, either a hobby or a job or your kids or whatever it is, that you woke up dreaming about that. Okay? Whether, whether it's a project or whether it's your kids or work or whatever, pastime, you woke up dreaming about those things. I want God to be so in the midst of your thought processes, that He is so wrapped up in your life that you wake up dreaming about him, that you wake up dreaming about how magnificent God is and how cool heaven is going to be and all the things you're going to be able to do to, to be in heaven, get to, get to do in heaven. Yeah. All right, so that was free. It didn't cost you anything. All right. Um, part, of the, part of the process of getting to the destination is the journey. This, the direction that Jesus tells his disciples to head down, part of that process is the, the, the stuff that you get to experience along the way. And just like it may, the experience you may get to, to have when you drive from your house to HEB, when your sole focus is going to HEB, that you, sometimes you miss some of the stuff along the way. You miss the roses, that you miss the little old lady that, that is outside and she's watering her, her ivies and, and you're out walking or exercising or whatever, and you just stop by and you get talking. And they just want to talk. They just want to visit. God wants you to experience the, the small things of life along the way, along, along the journey. You guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? Where have you been to the Grand Canyon? If you've not been, you need to try to go. It is one of the most magnificent things I've ever, 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 ever seen. But what is amazing about the Grand Canyon is you will get there, and it's, a, it's a, out in the middle of nowhere, out in, the middle, in northern Arizona, and it takes a long time to get there. So when I make this, when I make this statement, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. You get there before you think you're going to get there, okay? Because 
your, I don't even know what the interstate is on northern areas. Is it 20? 20? I can't, I can't remember what it is. It runs east and west um, through northern Arizona. It goes through Flagstaff. And, but anyway, there's a road that you turn off. There's a Holiday Inn Express. I don't know why. I remember, and a Pizza Hut right there. Because um, I've stayed there. Okay? And, and so you take, you take a road straight north out of this little bitty town. And it's about 45 minutes to an hour from this town before you get to the Grand Canyon, okay? And what you're doing is you're driving, and, and if there weren't this little sign that says the name of the park, Grand National, National Park, whatever it is, you would, you would show up at the edge of the Grand Canyon before you knew that you were there. I mean, it's like you can't, I don't know what I was expecting, but when I drove up, I kind of pulled into a parking lot, and then like 20 feet past the parking lot, there's like there's some little shrub trees, a path, and then boom, there's a Grand Canyon. And I'm going, oh, my word. You guys ever watched the Brady Bunch? I, I don't know why I remember this, but there's this episode where the, the Brady Bunch, they go to the Grand Canyon, and, and they were talking about the, the depths of the Grand Canyon. And Bobby Brady, there, he was explaining how you would actually measure how deep it is, and he's on this little rail. And I stood exactly at that same ro- that rail that he was at. And he says, what they do is they take a tape measure and they jump, and he acts like he's about to jump over the edge, and Alice loses her mind. She starts screaming. All right. <laughs> Some of you guys are way too young to remember the Brady Bunch, apparently. All right. So, but it's one of those things where you don't expect the destination to be what it is once you get there. And you, you have these visions, you have these ideas of what the Grand Canyon is, but until you see it, you have no idea the colors. You have no idea how massive it is. And so this destination that Jesus talks about here, this, this way, this direction, this destination is more beautiful than you'll ever be able to imagine until you get to see glory with your own eyes. You can only imagine what it's going to be like. And there's a new movie out called I Can Only Imagine. If you're not seeing it, you need to go see it. Okay? Beautiful, beautiful story about the guy who wrote the, the song, I Can Only Imagine. I'm not getting paid to say that, so I'm just saying. All right, so we see the way. The way talks about direction, talks about destination, how those two are, are so combined you really can't separate them. The, thing, the second thing I want you to look at this morning, based on this passage in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes a statement and says, I am the truth. The book of John, John refers to Jesus being the truth over 25 times in this particular book. So I think he wants us to grab a hold of the concept that he is the truth. Now, when we think of truth, we think of honesty, chicken. Okay, I just love to see her do that. Um, We think of honesty, we think of fact, we think of um, true, okay? But when Jesus makes this statement where he says, I am the truth, he's not talking about, I am honest, I am factual. He's saying, I am God. Okay? Because we can be truthful, and we can be honest, and we can be factual, but we will never, ever be God. We will never be this type of truth that he's talking about here. And so when he's speaking to the disciples, he's laying out some heavy stuff to these, to these guys. And, and when Thomas says, hang on, Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
when we read this passage, a lot of times we don't know what he's talking about. He really wants us to grab a hold of this, this idea that he is the only way. That, it's this, this, that he, there, there's no gray area. It's black and white. He also wants us to see that he alone is God. And so when he says, take comfort, don't let your hearts be troubled, he can mean what he's saying. That he is the truth. That he is God. And we can take comfort in that. Second page. Sometimes the truth hurts. I'm not going to give you any examples. Just going to let your... All right. Parents, how many, got, how, many, how many of you have little kids or have little kids? All right. Students, don't listen to this, okay? Kid brings you some artwork. It's beautiful, baby. And then she grabs it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really pretty now. Okay? So the, the truth... If we were to be truthful, sometimes that could be, what? She's shaking her head at me. Don't say that. Okay. All right. Sometimes it can, sometimes it can hurt. Okay? Sometimes it's confrontational. Sometimes it's not easy to hear. But Jesus is making a statement here that is necessary for us to hear. That he is the only way that we can get to heaven. That he is the truth. That he is God. So when this idea of truth, the couple subpoints that I want us to, to hang out just for a second, is that truth is is knowledge. Truth is knowledge. Turn back just for a couple just a couple chapters back in John chapter eight, verse thirty two. John chapter eight, verse thirty two, where he makes Jesus makes this statement that he is knowledge. That it's it's part, it's it's who he is when he says. When I'm the way, the truth, this truth is knowing who Jesus is. So John chapter 8, verse 32 says, says this. Starting in, actually starting in verse 31. He said to the Jews uh, who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Pause just for a second. Now, he says, if you hold, he's talking to his disciples here. He goes, if you hold to my teachings, if you do what I teach you, if you do what I say, then you are really my disciples. And so conversely, what does that mean? If you don't do what he teaches, you don't do what he says, what does that mean? That we're not his disciples. Okay? And so, reality check, am I doing what he's telling me to do? Am I doing what his word challenges me to do? If I am, then he calls me his. He calls me his disciple. But if I'm not, then I'm not his disciple. I'm not his follower. But look what the next verse says. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He makes a really, really distinctive phrase in there. He says, you will know the truth. And what that, what that word know means is to have an intimate knowledge, to have an intimate understanding of who the truth is. How many of you guys know Michael Jordan? Wow. Can you give me his number? And, and that's, that's, where I, that's where I want you to see. There's lots of people that know of Michael Jordan. There's lots of people who know about 
Michael Jordan, LeBron James, name any celebrity that you want to name. Okay? But I would mention to say there's nobody in this room that knows Michael Jordan or LeBron James or any other celebrity that could give me their number. So there is a distinction between knowing about and knowing. And so this idea of truth, knowing who Jesus is, is very, very vital for us to understand when he says, I am the truth. This knowledge that that he wants you to grab a hold of. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be intimate with him. And so what has he given us so that we will know him, so that we will be intimate with him? He's given us this right here. Okay? He's given us this right here. So, did he give us this to kind of say, let's get on my coffee table. Is that what he gave us that for? Okay, okay. How about the bedside table? The dining room table? Absolutely not. Uh, thank you. In the car, in the trunk, okay? Or if you have to do this before you bring it to church. No confessions, nobody raised their hand. But we've all done it, okay? He says he wants us to know him. And we can't know him unless we're in this right here cannot know him. You can know about him. You can know about him by hearing a message on Sunday morning, maybe listening to a song on the radio or even a sermon on the radio. You can know about him. But Jesus wants you to know him personally. And the way that you do that is you have a relationship with him. Okay? Just like I don't know Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I know about him. But if I want to know him, then I have to have a relationship with him. I have to spend some time with him for him to know me and for me to know him. And so I'm, I'm begging you this week. You you desire to get to know this Jesus. You get to know the truth. Look over and continue on there in John chapter eight. Look over in verse over in verse thirty six. He makes another statement here that is emphatic. Verse 36 says, I think it's 836, yeah. If I can find it. Let's start in verse 34. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Isn't that funny? He is the truth, but he's going to tell the truth. Everyone who who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but the song belongs to but a son, a son uh, belongs to it forever. For if the Son sets you free, what does it say there? You are free indeed. Someone paraphrase that for me. What does that mean? If you're free, then you're really free. Okay? When Jesus sets you free, you are kind of free, right? You're marginally free. No, it says you're really free, that you are free Indeed. Anybody heard the name Patrick Henry? Any history buffs in the room? Okay. I remember hearing that name, but I have no idea where I heard that name. It was some kind of Irish guy. Um, 
Patrick Henry in, in, what was it? What year? 1775 gave a speech to his fellow Virginians in a church. And he's making a plea to them. This is back when England still had trying to, 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 to govern the new colonies in the United, not even the United States, in, in the Americas. And he made a plea to his fellow Virginians. And he said, look, says, says, we can continue on doing life the way that we've always done life. And we can allow England to, to rule over us. He goes, but I'm tired of that. And he, and he says, I want to be free. I want to stop have, being suppressed by somebody across this ocean that wants to tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he made this statement that has rung true for hundreds of years now. And he made the statement that we've all heard a million times. He said, give me liberty or give me death. Listen, Christian. Listen, person who has come to church and you've never really placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus is the only person that can really give you freedom, can only give you this liberty that you're looking for. We can try it with money. We can try it with houses. We can try it with cars. We can try it with clothes. We can try it with whatever it is. But Jesus says, I'm the only thing that will give you freedom. And if you trust me, you will be free indeed. You will be really, really, really free. And so this idea of truth, truth's knowledge, and truth is freedom. Third thing, the way, the truth, and the life. If you're still there in John chapter 8, verse 12, over in chapter 8, look at verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, subpoint there in A is that life is light. When you have Jesus, then you have this light in you. You have this light available to you that will illuminate your entire life. You will never walk in darkness again. What a beautiful thing. Ladies, you ever been afraid of the dark? Don't fib in church. Okay. I think everybody's been... But I don't know if we've ever been really afraid of the dark. I think we've been afraid of the things that we thought were in the dark. I was talking at work the other day, and uh, I, was talk, I was talking about the boogeyman, talking about this very thing, about being afraid of the dark. And um, I asked, there was a gentleman there who spoke Spanish, and I said, how do you say boogeyman in Spanish? So I know how to say boogeyman in Spanish now. Cucuy! Okay? So just... I hope, I hope that's why he translated that correctly for me. If I said something inappropriate, I apologize. Okay. He told me it was cuckooing. So now that, is that, is Spanish speaking folks, is it cuckooing? Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Praise Jesus. All right. I was a little bit scared on that one. I should have thought, I should have asked that question first. Sorry. But when we have this light that Jesus is, then then we have a different perspective on life. Just like the light in this room when it comes on, we have perspective on where the chairs are, where the stage is. So we don't have to walk through life blindly, this room blindly. We can turn them on and have full access to that light. Same thing happens with our relationship with Jesus. When he takes up residence in our lives and we have illumination in our life to be able to give us direction, to be able to help us see where we need to go and what we need to do. There is a, there is a lady who... 
um, wrote a, a bunch of hymns. She was born in the mid-1800s. Her name was Fanny Crosby. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman of God. Wrote over 5,000 hymns. Um, when I was a kid, we had these pews in the church, and we had these books in the back of these pews. They were called hymnals. You're exactly right. And you turn in the back of the hymnal, they had the different people that wrote the hymns. And her name was listed there. And the section of all the hymns that she wrote that were in the hymnal was about this thick. I mean, there were literally hundreds of her songs that were in, in the hymnals. And so let me, those of you that, that sang hymns growing up, some of you that still love hymns, listen to a couple of the, I'm not going to sing them. Be prepared. You're safe. Uh, first one, just a couple I wrote down. To God be the glory. Praise Him, praise Him. Tell me the story of Jesus. Blessed assurance. All that, those, those, are, those are beautiful songs. Most of us are familiar with those. But what most of us don't know is that when she was about 18 months old, 2 years old, she developed this illness and was blinded by the illness. And so she wrote five, over 5,000 hymns and she was blind. One day, a traveling evangelist came through and she had dinner with this evangelist and, and her pastor. And the evangelist, evangelist asked her, he said, Miss Crosby, he says, do you ever, ever, ever get angry with God because you are blind? And she looked at him. She didn't look. She looked in his direction. And she smiled. And she said, you know what? I'm not. I'm thankful for my blindness. And she goes, you know why? She goes, because the very first face that I get to see in glory is going to be Jesus. Beautiful perspective on life and not... Most of us have pity parties, and we have a bad day, those kind of things. Fanny Crosby had the proper perspective because she had this light of life in her life. And so it illuminated even things that she couldn't physically see. Listen to, I'm, I'm, listen to some of the verses in this song, Blessed Assurance. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture. Now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Listen to this. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. And this is the chorus to that song. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song from a lady who was blind but could see because she had this light right here. Amen? All right, so we see that light is life. We also see that life is forever. Turn back real quick to John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Jesus has just told the disciples that he is the, the great shepherd, that he is the shepherd of the flock. We see that uh, over in, I believe, in John chapter 8, that he is the, he said he's the gate to the sheep. But he makes a statement here to those people that follow him, those sheep that follow him. Verse 28 and 29, he says, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hands. Cool perspective. I want you to see, I want you to see just for a second. Over in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 11, 
Scripture says that we are etched into his hand. Okay? He doesn't say your name is etched into his hand. He says that you are etched in his hand. And so that gave me a, a totally different perspective on how much um, God is in control of my life and how nobody can get to me unless God wants them to get to me. Think about that just for a second. You got some words here, and you take these words, and then you start etching them on to, to, to your hand. Okay, it's real easy to understand a word, see a name, but when you put Mike Cooper's life in its entirety into the palm of God's hand, completely different perspective. He has your life etched into the palm of his hand. He has your life etched into the palm of his hand. And he says here in his words, Jesus says, I'm the truth. No one can take you out of his hand. When you're his, you are his indeed. Okay? When you belong to him, it's right here. I work at a place where guys have tattoos. And I've seen some really crazy tattoos. I've seen tattoos on foreheads, on arms, toes, I'm not real sure why I saw them on their toes. Um, but I've also seen tattoos on palms. Okay? And you know what's unique about guys who have tattoos on their palms? They don't stay there. They wear off. I don't know what it is, whether it's just the wear and tear on the hand, the ink, whether it's just exfoliation, the events of the skin kind of gets, whatever it is. But it always wears off. But when God says that you're in his palm. It's not rubbing off. You're there. You're there. So we see this, this life, that life is light, and that life is forever when you have a relationship with Him. God hasn't planned for us to be here forever. Praise God. He wants us to spend forever with Him. Real quick, as we close, there's a store. You guys like baseball? Love baseball. It's my favorite time of the year. If I could go down to Florida and watch spring training all spring, I, I would catch as many games as I could. I love high school baseball, college baseball, all those things. And so there's a story about two elderly men that would sit on the town square each and every day, and they'd play checkers, and they'd drink coffee, and they would talk baseball. Baseball, 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 baseball. One was a Yankees fan. One was a Red Sox fan. So if you know anything about baseball, you know, those two, it's like oil and water. Those two do not mesh. Okay, and so they had this conversation about baseball, and one day one of them asked the other one, he says, hey, do you think there's baseball in heaven? So they had this dialogue back and forth about, is there baseball in heaven? And they made the joke about, well, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, so, I mean, it could be. That was my attempt at a really bad joke, sorry. All right, so, um, so you know what, hey, here's the, here's the thing. Whoever dies first. So when you get to heaven, find out if there's baseball, and then come back and let the other one know if there's baseball in heaven. They said, deal. If I go, I'll find out and let, come back and let you know, vice versa. One day, one of the gentlemen passed away. And about six months later, his friend visited him from heaven. He says, uh, he says I got some good news, and I got some bad news. Good news is there's baseball in heaven. Bad news is you're pitching tomorrow. We're not meant to be here forever, folks, okay? Not meant to be in LaGrange, not meant to be in Fayette County, not meant to be in Texas, even though Texas is, is really close, I think, to heaven. And so 
God wants us to spend forever with Him. and He wants you to understand that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He wants you to spend forever with Him. Amen? And the only way that's possible is for you to know Him. You have an intimate relationship with who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. And Jesus, we thank You for... Your statements where you say, I am. I am the way. I am the direction and I am the destination. Father, when you say, I am the truth. Father, we know that there is power in knowing who you are. Your word says in Philippians 4.13, Father, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So, Father, we know there's strength in you. We know there's power in you. And, Father, having that relationship and knowing you, we have full access to that power. Father, we also know that we have life, that we have this light that you have given us it's, that gives us the, the to be able to, for us to be able to see that path clearly that's marked out for us, Father. We also know, Father, this life that you've given us is the life eternal, that it's life forever when we have made that decision to follow after you. And so, Lord, I pray that there's folks in this room this morning, God, that They've made the decision long ago to follow after you. Psalm 63, 8 says, Father, that we will follow hard after you. Knowing that life can give us difficulties, life can give us struggles, but, Father, with you, all things are possible. There may be some folks this morning, God, that they, they've they come into this room and, and they're searching. They said, you know what, I've tried everything else. I've tried my own strength, my own plan, my own power, and I still feel like something's missing. And so they come to church this morning, God, looking for an answer. And so, Lord, I pray that as they heard your word this morning, God, as they were challenged, they would recognize that the only source of relief, the only comfort that you said there in, in John 14, 1, Father, the only comfort can come from having a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray they would trust you. I pray they would pray and ask you into their lives for you to be in control, for you to be the ruler and not them. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.